Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis 1-1 about how a child or child of God can understand creation and how God foreknew about all that would happen to his creation before the foundation of the world. This message is available for free download on iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast on iTunes.com, or you can go and download free messages at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Messages are always available for free listening, free download, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also get past and previous messages there on the website, friendshipwithgod.org, or the iTunes podcast. Now, every Thursday and Friday, we have Throwback Thursday and Flashback Friday messages from the early messages of Genesis with Tom Cantor and his Old Testament teaching. And we've got another message for you today, this Thursday and this Friday. And how we provide these free messages for you, the listener, is through donations that come in to the Friendship with God radio program. Through our online donations, you can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org. Just click on the Donate button, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also mail in your support to Friendship with God. Our P.O. Box is 711-330. That's P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's Santee, S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071, 92071. So again, that P.O. Box is 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. You can find that information also available on our website, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us for any information at 1-800-247-3051. We can take your donation right over the phone, 1-800-247-3051. Again, it's 1-800-247-3051. Now let's begin our teaching with Tom Cantor from the Old Testament today in Genesis 1-1 and how a child or child of God can understand creation and how God foreknew all about what would happen to his creation before the foundation of the world. Turn in your Bibles, okay? We're going to be more concise this morning. In our lesson here, we're only going to read the first verse. In the beginning... Well, it's a very important verse. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, just a note of clarification, because... The, uh, about this first verse. I don't know how your Bible reads. The King James Version reads, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. I don't know, maybe yours says this. How many of yours, your Bible says the heavens and the earth? Okay, a couple of you. The heavens and the earth. Why does it say the heavens and the earth? Well, that's actually because, the, because in the Hebrew, the word for heaven, or heavens here, whatever you want to call it, is shamayim, which is actually two words put together. Sham and mayim. Mayim is water. Water is always plural in Hebrew. You want to know why water is always plural in Hebrew? I don't know. It's always plural in Hebrew. But that's just the way it is. Now, but it's very instructive for us, this word shamayim. Because what it is, is it, it's made up of the two words, maim, as I said, water, and the first part is sham. And so, you all understand what I'm talking about? Say that with me. Say shamayim. Shamayim. All right, good. So we're on the same page. All right, so because sham means there or over there. Now, you remember last week when we talked about how we have to become in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? Remember what he said in Matthew 18, 3? He said, except you be converted converted and become 
as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So that's a model for us, little children. That's a goal for it. Isn't that how a little child would view the sky or the heavens? He would view it. He would say, well, what's up in the sky? Well, rain comes from there. Water's over there. That's water over there. Where's heaven? Over there where water is. And that's the meaning behind it. That's how a child understands the sky. That's how we're supposed to look at, not just the sky, that's how we're supposed to come to the Bible. It's a very instructive word, right in the first verse of uh, of Genesis here. And that's how it is. Because also, how we understand creation. This is not a, 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 a blueprint book. This is not a how he did it book. We understand creation, as it says in Hebrews 11.3. Not, it doesn't say, we understand by faith. That's what it says. Through faith we understand, Hebrews 11.3, that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made, which things which are which do appear. So faith, like the little child, is the acceptance of what it says. It's the acceptance. It's not the arguing with it. It's not the, I need to see the proof first. It just accepts it. It's very, very simple. As a matter of fact, God went on to say in Hebrews 11, in verse 6, that's the way to please God. He said, without faith, it is impossible, not possible, to please God, to please Him. Because He says, if you come to God, for He that cometh to God must, it's a requirement, believe that He is. You can't come like I first came. Oh God, if there is a God, you got to get a little bit farther than that. You got to come and you say, you must believe that he is. And not only that he is, but there's something very special about him, that he's a good God, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's what it says in Hebrews eleven six. So, exa- so faith is exactly what a child does. And faith is exactly what's required of us. So the first verse in the Bible starts with a a time point called in the beginning, where we see that that's when God created the heaven or the heavens and the earth, in the beginning. But you may ask the question, you may not ask the question, but you may ask the question, what if you just asked the question, well, what happened before? I mean, is that a valid question? Before, what about before in the beginning. How about what happened before in the beginning? I mean, we know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's good. But what about before? Maybe you don't ask that question. I don't know. I asked that question. Anyway. Well, the Bible has certain things to say about what actually occurred before in the beginning. And turn to it. There's something that God did before in the beginning. And turn to it. First Peter 1, 19 through 20. Follow along pieces. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, what was manifest in these last times for you. So what is he talking about? When it says before the foundation of the world, that's before in the beginning. He knew that man was going to sin in the garden. He knew that. And God was so excited about the plan, the wonderful plan that it was going to be realized here to save sinners, that he started to work on the plan before the in the beginning. That's a promise. That's a very, very, that's a promise that if you as a sinner believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life. Very simple contract. Contracts are very, very important. One party usually draws up the contract. Every contract has four essential, at least four essential parts. I mean, after you talk about the parties. Now, the first one of the contract is the preamble. The preamble or the background, that gives you what this is all about, and it kind of paints a picture, and it shows you why you need this contract in the first place. Now, the second part is that the the contract then says the parties are willing. The parties are willing to enter into this contract. And then there's the third part, which is the contract itself, what it is. And finally, there's the signature line. Now, God has done all this. He's drawn up the contract, and he put the, he, he, he put, it's interesting, he put the preamble in Isaiah 1. Turn to Isaiah 1, Isaiah chapter 1. This is God's preamble for his, his contract. Now, follow along here, Isaiah 1, chapter, uh, Isaiah 1 verses 2 through 19. All right, here, here's, here's what God says. And think about the contract. So here we go. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. So there's a lot of people listening to this contract, preamble here, right now. For the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. What's that mean? I got bad kids. Okay. The ox knoweth his, a- his owner, and the ass his, his master's crib, but Israel doth not consider, my people doth not consider. What's that mean? My kids are dumber than donkeys, and they're prejudiced. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backwards. What does that mean? My kids are not only bad, they make other people bad. Why should you be stricken anymore? You'll revolt again, more and more. The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's no soundness in it. Wounds, bruises, putrefying sores, they've not been closed up, they've neither been bound up, neither mollified with ointment. What's that mean? My kids are uncorrectable, they're incorrigible. Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land and strangers devour it in your presence, it's desolate, it's overthrown by strangers, and the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage and a vineyard, as a lodge and a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. What's that mean? My kids are in such terrible state. They have, they've been punished and punished and punished to the part where they're pitiful, and it breaks my heart. And I'm looking at their state. That's what he's saying. Except the Lord of Sabaoth had left unto us very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom and should have been as like unto Gomorrah. What's that? Unless there was an infinitesimal number of my kids who repented and followed me, I would have destroyed them all. I would have just wiped them out. Then he says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose? Is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord. I'm full of the burnt offerings of rams and this fat fed beast, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who required this, all this, at your hand to tread my courts? It's like God saying, I don't remember counting out 613 laws. What's this mean? He's saying, Many of my kids are very religious. They're very, very religious, vain, vainly. And then God says, Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity. He's saying it's sin. Even the solemn meeting, your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. 
They are a trouble unto me. I'm weary of them. What's he saying? I hate the religion of my kids. And when you spread forth your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you, God says. Yea, when you make many prayers, I won't hear. So God's like this, and God's like this. He says, I won't hear. What's he saying? I'm not even going to hear my children anymore. Your hands are full of blood, he says. Wash you. Make you clean. This is now God giving what you need to do. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. See, stop to do evil. Learn. Reprogram. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fathers. Plead for the widow. What is he saying here? My kids are dirty. And they need to be totally, totally reprogrammed. Totally reprogrammed. Now, that's a preamble to the contract, okay? So you could put in the beginning of this passage, which was read, for as much as, or in as much as, God writing. For as much as my kids are bad, dumber than donkeys, corruptors, uncorrectable, incorrigible, dirty, pitifully punished, and yet religious. And for as much as, 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 as I, as God, will have every one of them to be saved. And I'm not willing that any of them should perish. We've just painted the picture of as bad they are. I'm not willing that any of them should perish. I do hereby invite them, in verse 18, and that's where we're coming to, to make my contract. So here's the invitation, verse 18. All of that in view, come, come now, he says. Let's sit down together at the contract table. Let's reason together, saith the Lord. On your side, your sins, they're scarlet. I know that. But with this contract, they can be as white as snow. White as snow. That's wonderful. He said, on this side, he says, they're red like crimson, but they can be as wool. Oh, he says in verse 19, if, you're will, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That's my contract. He said, this is the preamble, this is the invitation. It's not the contract yet. So then, you have to keep on reading through the book of Isaiah until you get to chapter 53, verse 10. Turn to that, please. Isaiah 53, 10. And you get the contract. Here's the contract in Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, who? The Lord. Hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see a seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's the contract. The word when, you see the word when, when thou shalt make his soul, it's not a bad word, when, it's okay. But in the Hebrew, it's the word im, which means if. So that's a contract, if. Contracts have ifs. If, God the Father... So, he says, the contract is, God the Father has bruised God the Son, actually put him to death on a cross, and if, that's the word im, if you put your guilt on his soul, then God promises three benefits in this contract. Benefit number one, he'll make you a child. You're my son, you're my daughter, you're my child of God. Second, he says, is this death don't worry about that. I'm going to prolong your days. I'm going to give you eternal life. And third, I'll use you in life. And I'm going to have God's pleasure prosper in your hand. Your hand, God's going to pleasure. It's a very, very simple contract. He says, I, you know, he comes to the contract. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. 
I put my whole faith, my whole trust in the goodness of God who gave His Son, His only Son, spoken about here in Isaiah 53, the Lord Jesus Christ who died for my sins. I'll become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for for, for forgiving me and making me His child, giving me what I don't deserve, eternal life, and using me in life. Sign, sign there. Sign. That's what God's saying. Sign, sign. That's the contract. And he pushes that contract across the table to every man with the empty signature line, and he waits to see who's going to sign the contract. Only he has an advantage, because he knows who's going to sign the contract, because he's God. But he drew up that contract for every person. He didn't just draw up the contract for you. He didn't just draw up the contract for me. He's drawn it up for every person. Because he made every person. And he loves every person. And so, how do you know that there's a contract for every, per- for every person? Because that's what it says in 1 Timothy 2.4. Who will have all men, everyone, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay? And 2 Peter 3.9, where it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slack, slackness, but is long-suffering. He suffers a long time. He's very patient. To us word. He's not willing that anyone should slip through the cracks. He's not willing that anyone should perish. He's not willing that anyone should slide off the deck of the Titanic. He's not willing for that. He he wants all, everyone, should come to repentance. Those verses mean that God has filled out a contract, a promise of life contract for every person. Already's got their name on it, already signed by God, just waiting. The thought of a sinner dying, God cries out, no, give him another chance. Give him another chance. A little bit longer of life. Don't let the sinner die yet. Don't let that sinner die yet. Again, more leading him to repentance. More, more. Let's see if he repents. Let's see if he signs a contract. So, Romans 8.29 says, Whom he did foreknow. He knew in the, before the beginning who's going to sign the contract. And he knew who was going to say, No, I don't want to sign. And he's not forcing anyone to sign that contract. That decision is totally up to the person. But... For those that he knew who would sign the God's contract and become one of the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ, God started to work for their benefit before the, in the beginning, before the foundation of the world. He starts working for their, why? Because that's the kind of God he is. He is really excited about redemption, so much so, he doesn't sit there and say, well, let's see, we'll just wait till time comes, and we'll, we'll do something for him. No, no, no. From the beginning, now turn to Ephesians 1. 4 through 5, and we're going to see one of the things that God did, what God was doing before Genesis 1 1, for in the beginning, and that's Ephesians 1 4 through 5. Now, here it says, it says this Ephesians 1 4 through 5. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that would be the before in the beginning. So, now let's see what he chose us for. That we should be holy. Without blame, before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, you shall see his seed, remember, by, Christ, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. 
God was so excited about what he, was, what he knew, who he knew was going to choose and sign the contract, he actually wrote down their names before they even did it. He wrote down their names. He called that, that book, he wrote it down in Revelation 17, he called it that, uh, a book of life. He said he wrote it down there before Genesis 1.1. He was so excited about the contract and who had signed it that he just couldn't wait. And so he, he, he said, this is going to be really good, is what God's saying. This is going to be really good, and so I'm going to plan for them, and I'm going to predestinate that they should. I'm going to chart out their course. They're going to be holy. How are they going to be holy? I'm going to give them a new heart. So it's not going to be the external, oh, I've got to do this. It's going to be the internal, I want to do this. He says, I'm going to give them a new heart. I'm going to make them excited about doing the right thing. And then I'm going to make them blameless. How are you going to do that, God? I'm going to, watch me, I'm going to clothe them. In the righteousness of the right, the only righteous man who ever lived. My son, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness, I'm going to clothe them in that. And so they're going to be before me blameless. Blameless? Blameless. Faultless? No, not faultless. Not quite faultless. But blameless. Blameless. And <clears throat> he said, then I'm going to adopt them as my child. I'm going to say to them, welcome home. I'm your new father. How about that? You know, I, like my 15-year-old Ethiopian pal who's in heaven now, Temeskin. Remember I told you about him? He died from bone cancer. But he was adopted by Mary Louise and Bruce Cohen. <laughs> and he became Temeskin Cohen. Okay? And, and they ended up with three white children and one Ethiopian. Didn't quite look the same, but didn't matter. Because I still remember... When I was over at their house, and how shocked I was when Temeskin came up to Mary Louise Cohen and said, Mom. And when he came up to Bruce Cohen and said, Dad. I just, I was like, oh, you know. Oh, yeah, I guess that's what happened. That's what happens when you adopt somebody, right? And that scene and that feeling is exactly what, what God, what, what way it is with us. We call God Dad. We call him Abba. We call him Dad. And God did not predestinate who was going to sign the contract. That's the glory of it all. We believe, we signed the contract, knowing who would sign the contract. He just couldn't wait, just predestinating all these great things to happen for them. And he went into action. And man believes God on his own. That's what man does. He just believes, man on, uh, believes God on his own, and God saves that man following believing, and he charts a new course for his life. He gives him righteousness of Christ. He predestinates or gives him a purpose of being holy, and wonderful things happen. He chose us to be holy without blame. He decided to adopt us. He decided to save us when we called on him. He did not predestinate us to believe, but he knew who would believe. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Again, we need your support as the listener to continue this Bible teaching radio program. Maybe you can make a one-time donation or even a monthly reoccurring donation. We can set you up for that by calling 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. If you can call now, we'll be able to help you with that and set that up. one 800 247 3051. You can also go online and donate and set up even a recurring donation at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 
Now we have a companion study book that goes well with today's message and tomorrow's message, and it's a book called Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism. Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism by Tom Cantor. This book will help you to scripturally understand the questions of what is fatalistic Calvinism and who can resist God's will and what are chosen and changed children and did God predestinate people to die and go to hell. And this book will show you how we're all faced with a personal crisis of obedience. Just as Joseph and Eve both faced those crises to continue to obey God or disobey God. Now, this book examines the character of God and his promises and compares them with the teachings of fatalistic Calvinism and provokes us with the question, what if God misled? What if he misled us? The most eye-opening part of this book is that Tom Cantor himself was once a fatalistic Calvinist. Now, you can obtain a copy of this brand new book by going to our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. Click on the resources tab, and there you'll find a link to Tom Cantor's materials. Again, friendshipwithgod.org. Click on the resources tab. You'll find all of Tom Cantor's materials that are available for purchase. So again, friendshipwithgod.org. Or you can call us directly for more information or to order the book over the phone. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Now for the fourth summer in a row, Israel Restoration Ministries of which Tom Cantor is the CEO of, is going to continue to do its Summer Blitz outreach. The past three blitzes have reached over a million lost Jewish people each time with the gospel, with our Jewish evangelism missionaries. If you'd like to support one of them this year, we went to 19 cities last year, all over the Jewish communities, reaching the Jewish people with the gospel and gospel gifts and materials. Help us to reach Israel. You can support us with prayer and a financial support for a Jewish evangelism missionary. Now, you can call us at one 800 247 3051. That's 800-247-3051 to make your donation. 800-247-3051 or friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.